Good morning. We're doing well. Uh, good to see you guys and your smiling faces this morning. Um, I was watching a TV show that's pretty popular um, a couple weeks ago, and it's the show called Friends. Everybody seen it? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, nobody's seen it, but that's fine. Um, anyway, there's an episode where uh, there's two of the main characters. They have uh, a baby together, and they go to do one of the very first ultrasounds, and Rachel, the main a actress who's pregnant, she kind of freaks out because she has no idea where the baby is in the ultrasound. And it's really funny, but as I was kind of walking through life and I think about that episode, I'm always like, oh, I wonder how hard it actually is to see babies in their ultrasounds. And so uh, many of you guys know my wife is uh, 23 weeks pregnant. And so uh, at about six weeks, we went in for the very first ultrasound. And honestly, what, I was kind of shocked. I was like, oh, I see the baby. Um, and you can kind of see the little nugget at that point. Um, but then we went in for the 20-week appointment, and it was a whole different story. Uh, baby's a lot bigger. It's got shape to it. You can kind of see the peripheral view of everything. And uh, as, so as we're sitting there, doctor, or the nurse was kind of pointing everything out to us, and we're looking, and you can kind of see the baby move, and it's really cool. And now it's not only just like the, the 2D view that they do, but they also do the 3D view, which is really cool and also really creepy at the same time. <laughs> And so we're sitting there looking, and she's kind of flipping back and forth between the different ones, like, oh, 2D. Okay, now it's 3D. And so it's neat how you're kind of seeing everything, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm keeping up with the lady as she's going. Uh, but then she's talking about everything, and she goes, okay, cool. Now this is the face and the mouth, and I'm kind of sitting there, and I'm like, uh, what? And Mariah, my wife, is kind of, she's like, oh, yeah, like, it's right there. And the nurse is kind of pointing it, and I'm like, yeah, I, I got no idea what I'm looking at. <laughs> and I, I'm sitting there, and I'm just like, what is happening? How are they seeing it? I'm kind of freaking out a little bit on the inside. I'm like, am I dumb? Um, and, uh, and so anxiety's kind of creeping up in that moment. But then uh, they start talking. They're like, no, we, like, flipped the view. So it was, it, I knew it was in 3D. But they flipped how it was actually looking at the baby. I thought it was like a side peripheral view, but she flipped to more of like a frontal anterior view. And so it, then it clicked for me. The perspective changed, and I was like, oh, now I see the nose and the mouth of the baby. And so as I was sitting there uh, just looking at the baby, I realized the whole time my perspective was wrong in that moment. And so the whole point of all of this is while we look at some things in life, we start to view them through our perspective. We, we take in what's right in front of us. And the point of this whole story is that when we see a distorted uh, view of something, when we have a distorted perspective on what we're actually looking at, what's in front of us, what's happening in our lives, it can lead us to anxiety and worry, stress, anger, frustration, whatever it is. It leads to that reaction. And so today, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus points out for us that when our perspective on life uh, is off, it typically leads to worry. 
And when our perspective on life is seeking after things that are physical and temporary in this world, it leads us to anxiety, a misguided perspective on what life really is. And so when we seek after the kingdom of God, as Jesus talks about here in this section in Matthew 6, when we seek after the kingdom and his righteousness, that's where worry and anxiety are completely done away with. So uh, read with me today uh, verses 25 through 32 again to see what our perspective on life is. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. So verse 25 in this kind of section shows us the first point that the text shows us this morning is our perspective on life. Uh, So verse 25 hinges off of verse 24. We've spent the last several weeks in the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, Dakota, one of our elders, walked us through uh, kind of the section right above it with our treasures in heaven. And verse 24 uh, really just talks about, hey, uh, you can't have both. You can't serve two masters uh, and actually follow them and commit to them. Now, verse 25 starts with the word, therefore. So, Bible study tip, anytime you see the word therefore, you ask the question, what's the therefore? Uh, It also works with a bunch of different uh, conjunction phrases, so but, and, so, uh, for, because. So, anytime you see those words, kind of think back, okay, this is actually tied to the thing that's right before it. So, let me look. That's just a quick reference point for you. But Jesus, in verse 24, he reminds us, you can't serve two masters. You just can't. You can only be devoted to one. Jesus is addressing the idol of possessions and money. And I love that he transitions into anxiety and worry off of that. Because when you really think about it, oftentimes what brings us a bunch of anxiety and worry? It's our finances, right? We we start freaking out about what we have or how much is in the bank or what we're going to do with food or how we're going to clothe ourselves or pay for different things. And we start to see that money can lead to anxiety. And Jesus addresses the crowd in verse 25. He says, Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you eat, what you drink, your body, or your clothes. Now, if you think of verse 25 and you kind of read the whole section, verse 25 is more so of a a thesis statement for the whole time. He just repeats himself over and over and over again over the next couple of verses, and he just says, hey, isn't life more than what you eat? Isn't life more than what you drink or what you clothe yourself with? Isn't life more than all of that? 
He basically just continues on to this thread, and he goes back, to, depending on your, the version that's in your Bible, he uses either the word worry or anxiety or anxious six times throughout this section, six times. So clearly, Jesus' main point for us, as we read this section, he's teaching, don't worry. That's the emphasis for him. Don't worry. But what is worrying? What is anxiety? Because if we really start thinking about it, you can go, okay, does that mean all planning is bad? Does that mean everything I think about is worrying? Like, where's the fine line? It's kind of hard to really navigate. And you kind of go, okay, am I worrying about this now? Or am I just like being like actually a steward of my finances? Am I just thinking about this too much? What, when is it worry? And so I want to uh, give us a definition to really explain what worry or anxious is. And I'm going to use those words interchangeably uh, this morning. So here's a definition for you. Worry is the emotion of fear or concern. Worry is the emotion of fear or concern. So here's what I mean by that. Whatever you're afraid of is often expressed by anxiety or worry. Whatever you're afraid of typically expresses itself out in what you're in how you come about it. So if I'm constantly worried about losing my job, I'm always going to be thinking about pleasing my boss. If I'm constantly worried about uh, my house, if I'm going to lose my house, I'm going to fixate on making my mortgage payments, and that's going to be the thing that causes me the most anxiety. If I'm constantly worried that my spouse is going to leave me, everything I do in life is going to be about making sure I'm pleasing them and, and like our relationship is actually perfect. And that's where the worry starts to creep in in those moments. We worry, our worry reveals what we value and what we prioritize. It reveals our perspective on life. It reveals what we're actually seeking first. So let's see, how does Jesus address that within these next couple of verses? Because he talks about worry in different ways. And so the first thing that he does in verse 26 is he, he gives this example of the birds in the sky. He gives this illustration to show, hey, birds, they don't gather their food and take it to the barns and store it up for winter and make sure they keep it. They don't sow seeds to actually make the food grow. And he's kind of comparing them uh, to us, right? He's doing this lesser to greater argument. He says, hey, uh, the, words, the birds, they simply eat. I don't know if you're about you guys. My wife, uh, she really enjoys uh, bird watching, and so we've got a bird feeder, and the birds kind of fly in, and they eat, and they know exactly what to do and where to go, but when the bird feeder is empty, I don't see like a bird having a panic attack. It, it, it kind of comes in, and it like just swoops down into the grass and somehow finds a worm, and then it goes off for its day. The bird is not anxious about uh, something being provided for it. It knows that it's going to have something. So Jesus is drawing, hey, the birds even know that they're going to be provided for by the natural world that their father has given to them. And so when we look at the birds, we contrast them with us. So often we, uh, if we're worried about our food or how much we have right in front of us, we tend to go make sure we load up. We go, oh my gosh, there's going to be a beef shortage. I got to go make sure I got a bunch of calves in my like, storage freezer for the rest of the year. Oh, COVID pandemic, what do we do? We buy toilet paper for some reason. <laughs> and we just store it up. And Jesus is drawing out here, aren't you worth more value than the birds of the sky? How much more does your father in heaven care for you? And he leans into this moment just to press in. 
Do you really believe that your father will provide for you? And he just continues to go on and on through this, that we're comforted that God values us as humans, image bearers who've been made to reflect his image, that he values us so much more so that he would provide for us. Yeah, food and clothing are extremely important. They're really important for us. But when we fixate on the physical possessions of life, when we fixate on the things of this world, we build uh, our lives around anxiety. We build our lives about making sure we have enough, making sure we've stored it up for just a rainy day, just in case it happens. And we get really anxious that God actually won't provide in those moments. We start to trust ourselves more than we actually trust God and who he is. And so if you look and keep reading, Jesus goes on to continue to talk about worry. He says in verse 27 to show that worry is really pointless. Verse 27, he just kind of talks about, can you even add a day to your life if you worry a little bit more? If you're just a little bit more anxious about whatever it is, does it really add anything to your life? It doesn't. In fact, it takes away from your life. Studies show that if uh, we continue to be filled with anxiety and worry, and the more we are worried and anxious, it actually takes away from our life. We could live shorter lives because of it. So worrying actually does the exact opposite that we think, it do- that we think it's supposed to do. The truth of the matter is, if I worry about whether I am going to lose my wife or my car or uh, whatever it is that I'm anxious about, if I won't have enough money to pay the bills, if I continue to worry about all of that, At the end of the day, one day I'm still going to die. If I never worry about all that stuff, at the end of the day, I'm still going to die. And so Jesus says, hey, worrying is actually pointless. It does nothing. It doesn't add value. If anything, it takes life away from you. And so he continues on in verse 28 to give another illustration with the wildflowers. He says, hey, Think about the wildflowers, comparing it to our clothes and the things that adorn us. He, he adorns the beauty. If you guys ever seen uh, like an actual field of wildflowers, absolutely gorgeous. We went to Vallis Pumpkin Patch, I think a week or two ago, and um, they were kind of dead at that point, but they were still really beautiful. Uh, and I imagined in my head, wow, these could be so much prettier if I was here a month earlier. Um, but it, it's absolutely gorgeous to kind of see the wildflowers of the field and may, think, Man, those things are amazing. That's a beautiful creation that God has made. You know, you got the sunset in the background, and it's kind of like the Nebraska picture-perfect moment where you're just like, dang, that is so gorgeous and such a beautiful scene. Every time we see a sunset, what do we do? We try to capture it because it's something of God's creation that just kind of blows us away in those moments. And he, he continues on, and he pulls out how the wildflowers of the field, they don't work to make themselves beautiful. They don't do anything to adorn themselves. It's just by God's natural creation and how he does that. He says they don't even do any, they don't labor at all. And then he compares them to Solomon. If you don't know who Solomon is, Solomon is David's son, King David's son. Solomon was wealthy, rich, had everything you could ever think of. And he says, man, the the wildflowers were adorned much more than Solomon. And God clothes the flowers so beautifully, even though they're here for a minute and then they're gone. They're temporary. And yet God has put so much beauty into that seasonal kind of section of just his creation to show how 
how much he values that and how beautiful it is. And what Jesus is doing here is he's pulling out how much more does God value you? How much more does God actually care about you who is not just simply temporary? Because all of us are eternal beings, right? We all have eternal souls. Whether we uh, uh, actually submit to Christ and come to know him and give our lives to him and we spend eternity with him or whether we uh, choose to rebel against him and never actually follow him, we still have eternal souls that are completely separated from him for all of eternity. So how much more would God, does God actually care about you? who's not just here one minute and then gone the next. But you're here for an eternal uh, just lifetime that God has created you with so much beauty. Of course, he loves you and desires to just be with you and to show you how much he actually values you. And he's contrasting that with worry and anxiety. Because the people here, they might not have had a ton of money. They might not have had a ton of clothes. And so he's pulling on those things and he's going, Why are you so anxious about that? Don't you know that the Father who is in heaven, the creator of the world, cares for you so much? That he cares for you more than the birds of the sky, that he'll provide everything that you need. He knows exactly what you need. That he cares for you so much that he hasn't just made you a temporary being who's here for just a short period of time and then gone for the rest of eternity, but he clothes you with his beauty, being created in his image. But... We really don't believe that at different times in our lives. I think we can all honestly say we don't believe that at different times. And how do we respond in those moments? We try to take control. We try to handle the situation. Some of us are constantly worried about the physical things of this world or the things that we think we need to provide for ourselves. We're we're filled running around with anxiety, trying to make sure that we have the perfect house one day, the best retirement package, making sure we're constantly moving up the ladder of success at work, the uh, approval of people, and we're trying to make sure that we're always working so that people uh, will actually think we're popular and desire to be with us. And we get anxious about the type of clothes that we wear so we're popular at school or making sure we fit in to actually meet the right person to spend the rest of our lives with, why do we fall into this trap? Why is it that we fall into this trap of thinking about the things of this world that are right before our eyes and getting so anxious over them? And I think it's because our perspective is a physical perspective. We start thinking about the things that are right in front of us. We see everything that's right before our eyes, and we think, okay, this is what my life is about. The person that's right in front of me, the job that's right there that I can grab. We start worrying about making sure we can see the things with our eyes physically drawn to, whether it's possessions, money, relationships, success, control, and we're fixated on the things of this world, and our perspective is off. And Jesus says, your perspective isn't about the physical possessions and how much you can provide for yourself. Or we really don't believe that God is better than those things. We really don't think God is better than success or popularity or making sure we're in a relationship with somebody or or pursuing the things of this world. We think those things are much better than trusting and knowing and believing that God is going to provide for us, that he values us so much more than anybody on this earth actually could ever value us that he cares for us so much that he's made us in his image. And we don't believe that. We don't think God's actually that good. Or third, uh, we don't really think he cares about us. 
We say intellectually, I know God cares for me, but the way that we act, we respond in such a way that goes, mm, I don't really think so. Our actual practice of our faith is just kind of like, well, I'm going to provide for myself because God's not going to. And we start fixating on the control that we can have in this world. And we push ourselves to think over and over again, I'm going to provide. I'm going to be the one to make sure we get these things. And then that leads us down this path of anxiety and worry because we realize we're fixated on the things of this world rather than what on Jesus is really trying to point us to here. And this is where Jesus kind of takes a turn in, in his sermon. He says, you of little faith in verse 32... He responds to them, you of little faith. And honestly, we read that, we kind of go, oh, he means like we just have a little bit of faith and the rest of our faith is in the other things. But this is actually like a harsh tone that Jesus is trying to hit. I mean, he compares them to the Gentiles. He tears them apart. What do the Gentiles believe in? The things of this world. The Gentiles, they focus on what they're going to eat. They focus on what they're going to drink. They focus on the clothes that they have. They focus on the things here. Why? Because they worship those things. Because they don't believe in me. And he's not just saying you have a little bit of faith. He's saying you have no faith in me. Because you're trusting in these things rather than trusting in who I am, how much I care for you, how much I want to provide for you, how much I actually know what you need when you need it. Because I'm the God of the universe. I'm the one who's created you. I'm the one who loves you so intimately and so much more. And he compares them to the Gentiles, knowing that the Gentiles simply want the things of this world. They want what's temporary. They want what's physical. And that's what leads them to live anxious lives. He says, you don't believe in me, but we have to seek first something else. We have to prioritize something else. Because we really believe sometimes that life is about the things that are here. Life is about what's right in front of us. And my whole life, my whole perspective on how I live life and how I believe life to be is about the possessions or the temporary things, the approval of man, making sure I'm climbing up the ladder, making sure I'm successful or the perfect picture on the social media or whatever it is. And Jesus instructs us, hey, you don't need to worry because your heavenly father knows exactly what you need. He knows who you are. He values you more than the birds of the sky. He loves you and cares for you because he's made you in his image and you're adorned much more beautifully than the flowers of the field on this earth. And you have an eternal soul that I died for that he continues to give his life for. Jesus instructs us, don't worry about the physical or temporary things of this world because you have a father who knows what you need. Life is much more than food. It's much more than clothing. So Jesus then, what, what is life about? He asks that question multiple times. I think we get caught up in like the worry section because it's kind of titled that, you know, in the Bible, and then it repeats it. He's clearly making a point, but notice the question he also repeats over and over again. What is life about? What is life about? Isn't life more than this? So what should we fix our eyes on then, Jesus? What is life truly about if it's not just the things of this world? Well, keep reading with me, verses 32 to 34. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because 
tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Again, Jesus brings up the kingdom of God. Remember that throughout the entire book of Matthew, the kingdom of God is a huge theme. So if you remember a couple weeks back, we talked about the kingdom as we started this whole series. And I said, hey, circle, underline it, draw a little crown, whatever. The kingdom of God, the language is here again. So you can circle, underline, highlight it to see and remind yourself, this is what Jesus is continuing to emphasize, the kingdom, 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 over and over again. We see it throughout the book of Matthew. And it's truly more than just the things of this world. That life is actually about the kingdom. That life is really not about worry and being anxious in the things here, but fixing our eyes on who Jesus is, fixing our eyes on what he's done, fixing our eyes on what the kingdom actually looks like and what he's trying to tell us here is not just, hey, okay, so don't worry, don't think about the things here and just think about heaven all the time, just think about new creation all the time. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't saying prioritize the kingdom and minimize things or eliminate those aspects of your life, but he's saying change your perspective because the reality is when you look at the kingdom, it changes how you see everything else. He's not saying just just ignore everything in the world, but he's saying, hey, see it through the kingdom perspective. Seek first, prioritize first the kingdom, and that will allow you to see the rest of the world the way that you should. Jeremy Treat, in his book, Seek First, he says this. He says, when rightly understood, the kingdom will enhance every aspect of life, infusing them with fresh meaning and significance. So Jesus points to the kingdom. He says, hey, first things first, seek after the kingdom of God, because that doesn't mean everything else doesn't exist. Over and over again, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we've kind of seen Jesus has been pushing us towards seeing, hey, who you are as a person, as a kingdom person, someone who's changed by what I've done and has a new heart because of me, you're different on the inside. And now here he transitions. You're not just different on the inside in who you are but you also see the world much differently. You see it as you seek after the kingdom of God. Jesus makes this point that we have this revelation as kingdom people to see the world differently, not just act differently. The kingdom of God rightly understood is God's uh, redemption, reign, and rule over all of creation. God's redemption, reign, and rule over all of creation as he continues to change this world by having us as kingdom people on the earth. The kingdom is breaking in, right? We kind of talked about that. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus continues to shape this world, to restore it, to make it a new creation, and he will uh, one day eternally. But when we kind of start thinking and viewing the kingdom in this way, the world, and seek after the kingdom, we start focusing less on the things that are right in front of us. Because if I sit here and things that typically worry me now as my wife is pregnant, I start thinking, man, am I going to see, like I'm worried about my wife all the time. Like she might trip and I kind of freak out and I'm like, do we need to go to the hospital? And her back starts hurting and I'm like, oh, we need to to go. And I just, and she's literally just like, Alex, you can like chill. I'm okay. Um, And I freak out all the time. I'm super anxious over it. Or, Or I start thinking about like our child. And when they grow up, and I start, like, I'm in, in prayer, just begging Jesus that he would save them, that they would grow up to meet him, that they would actually have their eyes opened to who he is and what he's done. 
And, and I can fixate and worry and get really anxious on what am I going to do if this kid doesn't actually follow Jesus? How, how am I going to actually like hear? And I get really anxious over it. And regardless of whether my kid grows up to know Jesus and follow Jesus or not, or whether I have food on the table or whether I earn everyone's approval that I want to earn, I, I can believe all of that. And it leads me to doubt in the fact that God actually cares for me, that God's moving in my life. But if I seek first the kingdom of God and I'm picturing, picturing Jesus' redemption, Jesus' reign, Jesus' rule over the whole earth, and I'm viewing my life in that perspective through that lens, I'm reminded that I don't have to worry or be anxious because God's got it. He knows what he's doing. One of our elders, uh, Eric Knoll, one phrase that he constantly always goes back to and says is, God can handle this. God can handle that over and over again. And that's a kingdom perspective. That's seeking first the kingdom of God. It's not eliminating the things that are right before our eyes, but it's saying God can handle this. And trusting and believing in that truth. Because there's different moments where we freak out and we kind of think, okay, uh, something's happened in our lives. And we immediately start to break down and take control. And we have to grab it all by the reins rather than squeezing tight, left, leaving our hands open and saying, Jesus, this is yours. This is all yours because you can handle it. So how do we know that God actually cares for us? If we're constantly worried, and he tells us, right, in this piece of scripture, he says, the Father knows exactly what you need. How do we know that he actually cares for us? Romans 5, verse 8, he says, God proves his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Where there's different times in my life where I don't trust God, I worry, I get anxious about the things right before my eyes. I don't believe that God actually values me. I don't believe that he cares for me at different times. I, I come back to this verse and I stand on this very promise that God proved his love for me. He didn't just say it, like he stepped in. You talk about actions speak louder than words. This action spoke louder than any word that I could ever give because God proved his love for me in sending his son down to give his life for me, to die on the cross, to take the death that I deserved, to put that weight on his back so that I wouldn't have to put it on mine. Because when I look to him, I'm reminded of that good gift that God proved his love for me. He proved that he cares for me. He proved that he continually over and over and over again chases after me because he's gave his life for me. Jesus didn't passively just sit there and wait for us to beg him for love. Jesus didn't just passively wait for us to just kind of lead to our own corruption and all of us just fail, but he ran after us, proved his love for us, took the cross, came as an infant, grew up amongst us, saw people sin and broken right before his eyes, and he yet still took the burden so that we could have everlasting life with him. He continues over and over again to prove his love for us each and every single day as we're reminded of the scriptures and the good news that Jesus came to give us an everlasting life with us, that he lived the perfect life, the obedient life that I never could. None of us ever could. None of us could ever be perfect, and yet Jesus did it for us so that we could look to him, to give our lives to him, and be able to stop clinging on so tightly, wishing for more control, and just letting us give it over to him. And to say, Jesus, it's all yours. 
because I know that you love me. I know that you care for me. I know that you've got this, and I know that you can handle it, and I know that you know exactly what I need because you're the one who made me. He proved his love for us, not by just providing some things here on earth to make it day by day, but he proved his love for us by giving us the thing that we needed most, which was forgiveness of our sin. Because I could ask him time and time and time again for food and food over and over, but food is not what I need most, the bread of life. He himself is what I need most and what we need most day after day after day. And so if you've doubted God, if you've walked your whole life never believing in him, if you've completely walked astray from him, I want you to know that this present age has nothing to offer you compared to the love that he has for you because he proved his love for us that we could actually see over and over again as we look to the cross, as we're reminded of the good gift that the Father in heaven sent his Son to pay the price of our death. And then he defeated it, trampled on it, stomped on it as he rose from the grave three days later so that we could have everlasting life with him. Please, if you've rejected Jesus your whole life, would you hear the fact in the good news of Romans 5, 8 that he proved his love for you over and over and over again? This is the good news and the promise that I stand on. Something that I cling and hold tightly to because I know it's good news that Jesus did that for me. Regardless of how rebellious I was, regardless of how many times I continue to say, Jesus, I don't actually trust you and I want to take control. I think I'm better than you. I don't think you actually care for me. I don't think you value me. Yet Jesus still stands on that truth over and over again. He's pursuing and running after me each day. Would you give your life over to Jesus? And would you know that he loves you so much more than the birds of the sky and the wildflowers of the field? That he's adorned you in such a beautiful way. That he's made you his image and he wants to make you his son or daughter. That he wants to continue to pursue life with you. That he values you so much more than anyone or anything on this earth ever could. And and if you're in Christ, if you've given your life over to Jesus, I want you to hear this good news that we can turn to Jesus and trust that all things will be provided for us. Verse 33, Jesus says, all these things will be provided for you. When you seek the kingdom first, we're reminded of God's amazing love for us. We're reminded that he knows exactly what we need. We're reminded that he's in control over all things. We're reminded that he can handle anything. He's a big God. It's not like something can trample over him. It's not like he's surprised by the things that happen to us in our life. It's not like he thinks, oh, I I don't think I can actually handle that. Because when we realize, man, if he could handle the thing I needed most, which is redemption of my soul, of course he could handle whatever's in front of me. Of course he could handle providing food for me if I haven't been able to eat in the last couple of days. Of course he could handle providing for me comfort while my child strays away and rebels and I can't understand how to parent. Yet I know I have a good father who I can go to in the middle of it. Of course God can handle us just worrying about the finances in our world and he could provide for us. But here's the thing, as we think of all those physical things or the temporary things that are right before our eyes, is God himself knows exactly what we need. And there's moments where we don't believe that truth. And Jesus says, I know what you need. I'm going to give you what you need in due time. 
And when we can trust the Father in heaven, the God of the universe, he himself continues to move in our lives. And we can trust that he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also grant, uh, how will he not also with him grant us everything? Romans 8.32, it's the same argument that he proved his love for us, that he continues to, he spared his son for us. How will he not also grant us everything? Because he's given us everything in him, in life with him. Over and over again, Jesus gives us the real reason not to worry. The real reason not to fall into anxiety is the beautiful gift that we have in him. And Jesus doesn't just say, hey, don't worry and put it away. Don't worry and move on. But he actually wants us to replace our worry with fixating our eyes on him. He, he doesn't just say refrain from worrying, but replace it with God's kingdom and his righteousness. Replace it with the Father and his goodness. We don't need to worry about the things of tomorrow as he closes this section in verse 34. Don't worry about the things of tomorrow or in the future because today has its own worries. Today has things that are gonna come up. He, Jesus isn't dumb. He knows that bad stuff still happens. He knows that there's things going on in our lives and he says, hey, today has enough of its own worries. So you may not get the house with the picket fence and the two kids and the dog or 2.5 kids, whatever the number is, and you may not actually be able to stop rebelling yourself or your kid may never stop rebelling. You may never be popular. You may never have the perfect retirement package. You may never get married. Guess what? You do know that the Father in heaven actually loves you and cares for you. You can bank on the fact that Jesus is good and that he proves his love for us each and every single day. You can continue to take that check to the bank and say, I know that I can cash this deposit because it is true and it is good and he's pursued me over and over again. And when we fix our eyes and we seek first the kingdom of God, we're reminded of that truth. He's not saying just, hey, just do away with it. Just put it on the shelf and pretend like everything's okay. But he's saying replace it with your eyes. Fixate on what life really is. And life is with me. And life is what I've done with you, for you. And I know I can stand up here and I can say that and it's like, okay, Alex, but you don't actually know how hard life is. You don't actually know what I'm going through. Friends, I, I worry too. I, I just told you guys a couple of things that I worry about. I get anxious about um, different things all the time. I struggle to believe God has affection for me at different moments in my life. I struggle to believe in God's love for me and his goodness. I too believe that things of this world are much greater than him at different moments. I fall into pursuing control all the time because I just want to control everything and make sure things happen the way that I want them to. Over and over again, as I think about our baby in the womb, I'm extremely anxious of whether I'll get to actually hold that kid one day. Over and over again, different times, I wonder if my wife is going to be healthy by the end of this thing. Over and over, I start thinking about whether, man, is God going to be able to help me make sure we provide enough for this future child? Are we going to be able to give them everything they need? Over and over again, I worry about different things like, man, does the church approve of me? Do they think like I'm doing a good job? Do the people actually enjoy having me as their pastor? Over and over again, I start thinking, man, am I going to be an absent father? Over and over again, I start worrying and thinking, is my kid going to grow up to think I'm just a legalistic, controlling, arrogant man who controls every decision they ever do in their life? 
Time and time again, I worry about different things. And I get anxious that I'm going to fail a lot like my father failed in, in my life. I've told you guys a little bit about my relationship with my dad and, um, and how it was rocky for a long time. And by God's grace, there was a lot of hurt and anger and frustration that I had with him. But um, God's moved in such a way that we could uh, reestablish our relationship. And about a year and some change ago, I was able to actually have a conversation with him and confess all this stuff all the stuff that I was angry with, all the stuff I was frustrated with him by. And we're on the phone, and we're talking, and I'm telling him, God, Dad, I need to tell you how much I feel like I always have to fight for your approval. Dad, I I need to tell you how much I've I've struggled with um, all these other things that we've got in our past. And as we're sitting there on the phone, there was this moment, profound thing that my dad said that I'll never forget. He said, mijo, I knew there was always something wrong. I was just waiting for you to come to me with it. And if my imperfect father wanted me to go with him with that, how much more does my perfect heavenly father want me to go with him with every single thing that I worry about on this earth? How much more does the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, just want me to go to him in prayer? I just flip backwards one page in this whole section. Go back to Matthew chapter, or earlier in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus says, continue to pray like this. My Father, our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be his name. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread over and over and over again. We're reminded that we have a Father in heaven who cares so much for us, that we can go to him in prayer. And he wants to hear those things. He's not angry at us for being worried. He's not frustrated because we're a little anxious about something that's right before our eyes. He's not gonna be mad at us when we go to him and say, God, I'm really struggling with control because I'm scared of what might happen. He wants us to go to him. He's waiting for us to pursue him in those moments and to let go and to just give it all over. And to say, Jesus, I really don't know if my kid's gonna grow up to know you, but I'm begging that you save them and I'm begging for your will to be done. Jesus, I don't know if my marriage is gonna be okay in a few months but I'm begging you to move in the middle of it. And I trust that your will would be done. God, I have no idea how I'm gonna walk through school the rest of my years with maybe not having as many friends as I'd like to. But I'm begging that you would help me find some people to encourage me in my faith. Jesus, I have no idea when our kids are going to stop rebelling, but I'm praying that there would be this sweet moment where you would just move in their lives, but either way, I'll trust you with it because God can handle all of that. And he's just asking us to give it over to him. He's just asking us that we could give over our anxieties. Peter, uh, first Peter at the end of it, he kind of goes and he's talking about, hey, cast your anxieties on God because he cares for you. If you look at Peter's life, you just read the gospel of Matthew time and time again, Peter did not trust Jesus. And there was a moment where it finally clicked. Cast your anxieties on God because he cares for you. 
And that's what Jesus is calling us to because we know Jesus is near, because we can seek the kingdom of God, because the Prince of Peace, the God surrounds us, because it casts, we can cast out all our fear on him because he's the creator of the world. So when I flip back and I think about that ultrasound that I got to see at 20 weeks of my baby and I couldn't figure out what I was actually looking at, it led to just a little bit of anxiety and frustration, worry, I started thinking about that moment where I go, man, when, when I realized I was looking at it with the wrong perspective, everything changed. And when I think about the things that are right before me on this earth, I flip back and remember to seek first the kingdom of God and I go, God can handle it. And I just give it all over to him. Let's pray. Lord, you know that there are things on this earth, that there are people and relationships that we love and care for, and we desire to just see you work in those relationships. We desire to see you provide for us. We desire to um, understand how much you truly value us. Lord, I pray that for each and every single one of us in this room today, that we would not be anxious, and if we are, that we could give that over to you. That we could be reminded that you're a God who pursues and runs after us, that you proved your love for us and the fact that you died for us, that you continue to move in my life and in my story, and I'm reminded of the fact that my imperfect father wants to hear from me, and I know that my perfect father, my heavenly father, my king, my God, my creator who's made me in his image, who's called me his son, who has redeemed me, who has changed me from the inside out, that I would fix my eyes to you, Jesus, that I would give it all over. I pray that each of us would be reminded to seek first the kingdom, that we wouldn't just try to toss away our anxieties, that we wouldn't just uh, ignore it because we think that's what you want. But Lord, would we give them over to you? Would we beg you to move in those moments? Would we trust that you're a big God? Would we trust that you actually value us and care for us and desire to pursue us? Jesus, I pray that we would be willing to give over these things to you that we would let go of control and that our perspective would change and that we would ultimately, ultimately look to you, Jesus. We pray this in your beautiful name.